On this two-part episode of the Funeral Cast, Brian Waters joins Dana and myself to discuss his presentation at the Embalm Better Conference, Good Cemetery Behavior, and Abandoned Funeral Homes. But first, a word from our sponsor. In 1891, Albert Richardson invented the butter churn, changing the game in the food industry forever. Three years later, he invented something game-changing for the funeral industry, the casket-lowering device. Twenty years later, Frigid received their first patent for a lowering device and has been hand-making them in North Lake, Illinois for over a hundred years. Seriously, people, they have an anvil right next to their modern fabrication equipment. Their quality lowering devices can be found all over the world, and they are backed by their maintenance and support staff. The next time you are at a graveside service for someone special, either as the funeral director or attendee, look for those cursive letters that spell F-R-I-G-I-D. Quick note on the show, we do discuss the conference being April 19th through the 21st. That date has changed since the episode date. We are now having the Embalm Better Conference April 20th through the 22nd, simply pushing it back a day. Oh yeah, it's also good for seven CE hours in Illinois, so we look forward to seeing you there. Okay, welcome to the Funeral Cast. Today I have Dana with me, and I have Brian Waters from Undertaking the Podcast. Um, uh, in addition to being a uh, podcaster, one of the things that Brian does is he um, provides continuing education uh, to you know audiences for um, you know legal purposes or for educational purposes. And one of the places that he is going to be doing this is at the third annual Embalm Better uh, Conference taking place uh, April um, 19th through the 23rd at the Presidential Intercontinental Resort in sunny Cancun. So, um, Brian, uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about your presentation? Um, actually, you know what? Let me back that up. Dana is also um, one of the MCs, so maybe she can fill us in first at what the people can expect at the uh, conference, what kind of uh, fun can be had. Um, well, we do have a lot of cool presenters, of course, that um, have a lot of interesting presentations that they will bring to Cancun. And we also have some events, uh, networking events, and just uh, fun events, you know, in between those, just to uh, allow everyone to meet each other and network with each other. So we can be educational and fun since we are in Cancun. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, it would be kind of a bummer if um, you know, you went to Cancun and no fun was to be had, right? Hey. That's, that's not really the profile of Cancun. When I think of the place, I don't usually think of things that are serious. Now, as far as these other events, is like Walking on Fire going to be one of the opportunities that people are going to have, like Cole Walker? I'll have to speak with the attorneys, but I think there may be a few liability issues there. So we may not do that this time, but we would in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you were at the last one, correct? The one that took place last year? Like, what kind of things, um, uh, like, tell us a little bit about that event to kind of get people jazzed up about what they could expect for this year. 
Well, it was it was really nice like to see so many individuals from different countries. That was like since we were in Mexico, we did have a lot of visitors from Mexico at the conference. So that was really fun to me just to see and hear the opinions of others that are not even in the United States. Like that was very eye opening to hear the similarities and the differences um, in how they conduct funeral services. So it was it was a lot going on. And then they had the interpreters there. Um, so, you know, they, they were expecting a lot of people that did not speak English to be there. So it was very um, just fun to see everyone in the same room um, sharing similar stories from all over the world. Um, and they did have a lot of dinners and um, just after hour things going on for people to network. And I really stayed connected to a lot of those people that I'd met in Cancun the last time and also in Puerto Rico. Yeah, that's cool. And you bring up a good point, right? Because embalming is kind of like a local activity, right? You know, typically, if you're an embalmer, it's not like you're jetting off to two states away to do your embalmings. You know, it's kind of a local activity. So we can kind of, we end up kind of in our own bubble, you know, and then of course, people... Um, just in general, don't like to leave the radius of the funeral home or they can't leave the radius of the funeral home to kind of do that um, international study, right? So you you when you go to something like the Embalm Better Conference or um, in Mexico or Puerto Rico or wherever there's events being held, um, you have the opportunity to connect with people who are going to tell you what their local experience is like, right? So, um, and especially with the international component, um, and, um, you know, just kind of being friends with all of you and um, just online activities like that's really something that um, has made me feel like a better educated person too. just being like seeing what embalmers outside of the United States are doing, you know, so um, I really like that. So for the time being, though, we're going to talk to an embalmer that is in the United States, and that's Brian. Um, and he <laughs> he is going to be doing a, a presentation there, um, as I mentioned, and um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about it now. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Ben and Dana. Great to be here with you uh, again. And I'm going to be speaking on decomposition. In fact, it's called building confidence with decomposition. And really what I'm speaking about is ourselves as embalmers. And this is what's so great about getting out and really getting away from your, your local bubble, and especially internationally, because if you don't talk to other embalmers, if you're not seeing their work, you don't know what you don't know how to judge yourself. And uh, we always joke about, you know, every embalmer thinks they're the best embalmer because that's all they see. So what I look forward to in my in my presentation is showing my struggles, my personal struggles in getting my confidence up to just even try. And that's the problem we face with decomposition is we don't know the outcome because so often we don't even try. So that's really the main part is just building the, comp the, the confidence to try. And then I'm going to show you in the presentation my failures, which I get really excited about because so often we never see those. We see Sistine chapels when it comes to artistic and scientific work, when it comes to restorative art and embalming. And we see everyone's Mona Lisa we don't necessarily see the failures. And actually, this will be the second time I've given this presentation. And by showing the failures and, and networking with embalmers, someone runs up to me and goes, I saw what you did there. Let me show you how it works. And they showed me, they, they corrected a failure of mine 
And I'm going, this is amazing. So I've got new things to share from the last presentation and I'm looking really forward to it. Yeah, you know, I first of all, I have to say that I love the title of this, Building Confidence with Decomposition, because, you know, decomposition is one of my favorite topics in embalming. Like, it really is, um, because everything in the universe leads to decomposition. Everything does, right? Yeah. And, like, you're talking about building something up, which is, a, you know, to foil breaking down, right? So, it, it like, I, I like the, the title itself. And, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that um, doing something that talks about what I could have done better because I try and do the same things in some of my presentations and like an analysis of like how I could have done better or what I would do better next time. So, because like, yeah, typically what you see is here's the case. It's really bad. You see four or five steps of the key parts of the embalming. And then you see, like you said, the Mona Lisa, right. Um, from, and, and like one of the things that is often left out of those kinds of discussion is that you have to practice, right. Yeah. Which is like, kind of like what your particular presentation is about, right. Here is my, my practicing of the, um, the decomposition and work yeah. it. so on this particular case or i should say is this multiple cases is it one case that you're going to walk us through for the presentation or so so it's two cases uh similar yet different in in very similar aspects but um what i do is invite the audience into my brain i'm going to walk you through my mindset of my next steps, okay, my challenges, my next steps, my failures, and then, okay, now I got to do something else. What am I going to do? So I'm going to show you the failures along the way, the silly things that I tried, because embalmers, when we're trying for that outcome, when someone says, I want to see my loved one, we're going to try every, every skill that we have, and then we start to develop and and create new skills or new techniques when everything else fails. So that's uh, that's part of the talk as well. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's excellent. Um, that's, that's excellent, right? Because you, um, you have to deal with that stuff. Um, uh, Dana? And, ben, and Ben, it's right in my wheelhouse, because I'm a bit self deprecating, so I can make light of my failure. Um, but it's, but it's helpful. It's, you know, because we see so many speakers, you can do this, but we don't see the failures. It's like, I'm going to show you all the failures and show you the outcomes as well. Um, Dana, um, do you find yourself um, embalming decompositions yourself or um, like like what are some of your experiences with uh, decomposition and embalming? Um, well, uh, I do. We do our own embalming at our funeral home. So we definitely run into a lot of decomps and we have even had decomps that they wanted shipped out to other states. We do a lot of ship outs at our funeral home. So that has been um, a learning experience, um, you know, like, cause when you have the, the body with you, you can, you can doctor on it, you can babysit it, you can check on it every day. But when you're under that pressure <laughs> where you're trying to get a decomp ready to send to someone, like you never really feel satisfied with the results enough to send it, but you have to let it go. <laughs> so it, it definitely was a learning experience with all the chemicals, trying different things, new things. So yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> so what kind of, um, uh, what kind of fluids do you like to use for a decomposition body? 
it's a great time to plug our sponsor, right? Right. Well, um, I typically will use um, Frigid's, um, I guess I like the Permacav, Permacav um, and I like the um, Premium Cavity um, for more in-house to keep the fumes down because it's very low fuming. And that's really important, especially for someone that's not getting shipped out. You have more time. You can leave that pack on them longer. So um, those, like, I use the lower cavity for in-house. But if, the, if I have to hypo and ship out, um, then, of course, I'm going with the higher cavity that, you know, get it done right like instantaneously so yeah it just depends on the case or where it may be going but I do um vary depending on where the body may be going well and in terms of arterial fluid you know one of the the things that we can do for decomp bodies is um you know obviously 36 plus is a really good one for it because it has that ethylene dichloride in it which um will prevent tissue gas by it um, attacking the cell membranes of the bacteria and allows the aldehydes to do their job. And then, um, you know, of course we have STOP, which is um, a similar mix without the formaldehyde in it. Um, and the beauty of that stuff is that it kills maggots as well as bacteria, which, you know, I always, um, you know, what do we hear for about traditional, um, like maggot treatment is to like put kerosene on people. Yeah. I mean, and I, that sounds rough, you know, and, but the thing is, is like, that's in the uh, previous edition, one of the most recent edition of the embalming books is that it does advise using some sort of petroleum-based thing. And I've always thought, well, that's pretty tough. So then when I found out about STOP and 36 plus, and then it has this ability to do that, you know, the other thing is that that's a topical application, like <laughs> putting kerosene on somebody is terrible. You're not going to inject that. So we have a better mortuary alternative for an arterial fluid that will not only address your issues on the surface and um the uh but like any deep tissue stuff because like maggots don't just exist like on the top of the skin either you know so um yeah so those are definitely some good ones i personally have um embalmed for the last seven years mainly decomposed bodies so um you know i would definitely say that and um i also you know it's it's great that you bring up the low index cavity fluid because um, that might be a situation where somebody would shy away from that. But um, don't forget that in cavity fluids, there's a lot of disinfectants and preservatives in there that are not formaldehyde, that do keep the fumes down and are just as effective. I mean, I have always used a low um, index cavity fluid when I was working with students because like, quite frankly, anybody who's an embalmer knows that sometimes you spill cavity fluid and that's just the way that it is. Especially when you're like learning to do cavity embalming, like you're gonna spill some. So um, if I have a lab full of students who are spilling cavity fluid just because they're learning and it, you know, for those of the people, like it doesn't even take that much to like clear a room, you know? And so um, having a low index cavity fluid is not only effective on the body, but it's also like good for your own like chemical exposure to kind of minimize that situation, you know? So 
Yeah, that's good. So yeah, I hope that people, um, you know, the attendees, I think they're going to be able to take a lot away from it. Um, unfortunately, I am not going to be at the involvement or conference. Um, um, yeah, sorry. Uh, but, uh, you know, that is one that I hope, you know, Brian and I run into each other a lot. So I, I hope that um, I do get the opportunity soon to see that presentation, because it is, um it aligns right with my own philosophies as an embalmer too. You got to practice and we should have more access to things that didn't go exactly right. Um, you know, that are doing it. So it's brave that you even put that information out and that you, that you're going to do that. So appreciate very that. good, Brian. I appreciate that. Um Did you know that plasma makes up 55% of your blood and does not contain red blood cells? It's true. However, it does contain proteins that can coagulate as the blood settles or when it comes into contact with formaldehyde. Now, if only there was a way to keep it flowing during your embalming. Wait, there is! Frigid has a co-injection fluid that is literally called plasma flow. Plasma flow contains triethnolamine, which is a surfactant that is so effective in fragmenting organic material that one medical application of it is to break up impacted earwax. Ew! So keep your plasma flowing by going over to frigidfluid.com and picking some up. Appreciate that. Um, okay, so um, any last thoughts on that particular... Um, on your presentation that you'd like to share? Oh, um, oh all right. So um, as people know, I like to send my guests and co-hosts some topics. So the first topic that I want to talk about is a letter to the editor that is entitled the cemetery is not a playground, right? And like, I feel like as funeral directors and funeral service professionals we have we spend a lot of time in cemeteries and we know that people get married in cemeteries in fact i have a co-worker who i i like very much and respect very much got married in a cemetery recently and i have no doubt that it was done in a most respectful manner um so we spend a lot of time in cemeteries and stuff and they can become familiar to us, but we always try to be respectful. You know, like one of the things that um, Amanda King, she like spends a lot of time introducing her daughter and stuff to it. So that's really not what I'm thinking about here. I want to read this letter to the editor um, to you. It's very short. Now, what it's addressing is a... Um, uh, a the Logan City Cemetery, which is in the middle of a university in Utah. All right. So here is the letter to the editor. And I think this is actually really thoughtfully written. And it's from a woman named Rachel Bott to the uh, cashvalleydaily.com. Um, so here's the letter. If you have lost a loved one, you know how devastating and life-altering it can be. Future conversations and holidays acknowledged with flowers, gifts, and one-sided conversations in a place you hoped you would never have to regularly visit. Now imagine tears running down your cheeks as you talk to a cold stone telling someone how much you have missed them. You look up to witness a dog peeing on a grave a couple rows down. 
you hear college kids yelling as they're fighting for a pass of a football, and they jump over gravestones and even kick over lovingly placed flowers. You then see a family with little kids removing toys from graves of babies and infants, parents staring at phones while the kids then move on to climbing up old headstones that have already been chipped away from time, wind, and people's poor decisions. This is the reality of visiting your loved ones at the Logan City Cemetery. I understand that it is in the middle of the university, but it is treated as a park with no rules and not a cemetery. There is no reason to have dogs there. Even if you clean up your dog's waste, your dog is literally urinating and defecating on someone's loved one. There's no reason to be walking with children up there as you watch them disrespect graves, move items, and run around screaming and yelling, seeing who can jump or climb the highest. If students are cutting across, it isn't a place for blaring music or playing games. It is also not a place for bike racing. This is not a parking lot when you can't find a good place to park for a game. Please show compassion and respect for those laid to rest there and any person that visits the cemetery for its intended purpose. Finally, it is never okay to remove things from a grave that is not yours or something you didn't place there yourself. You're not only stealing from the dead, but you are adding more pain to a person that already suffered a great loss. Let's do better. Thank you to the cemetery staff that work so hard. I understand that a lot of these issues are out of their control. Sincerely, Rachel Bott. Right, so, you know, we see a lot of people posting pictures of themselves in cemeteries. Now, my question for you first, Dana, is where do you draw the line in respectful, outside of grieving activities in a cemetery versus basically what these people kind of ignoring the fact that it is a cemetery? Um, I think it's become so popular you know, nowadays to where um, it definitely, they definitely need to set boundaries. Um, like a local cemetery here in Memphis, they have tours and um, they are, what is it called? Like an arbitrarium, I believe with like, you know, they have like all the different types of trees, like hundreds. So it's, it's really like a, a great place to tour, but they have designated areas for you to take pictures and, you know, for, for you to sit down, um, you know, so I definitely think that uh, boundaries have to be set uh, no matter where the cemetery is located. So it, it, it definitely is a place of reverence. You have to think like, and a lot of people find it hard to um, be compassionate if it's not their loved one, you know, like, I don't know who this is right here. So it's like, they can't, seem to find that level of respect or level of compassion and they do tend to disrespect different areas like I've even noticed it's kind of when you go on funerals you know everyone doesn't know not to you know stomp on graves or you know like but it's a, it's a thing that I think should be taught especially to kids but um, of course as adults we you know should have just a certain level of compassion when we are in a cemetery um but it is a thing now like a fad to take pictures and um you know in cemeteries and have photo shoots so i think it's i think it's okay as long as you're being respectful well yeah i mean in particular like you mentioned like some cemeteries have areas that are um 
uh, that are for other uses, right? Like, for example, my coworker, she got buried. Like, there's like fountains and there's like, you know, spots to get pictures taken in like for ceremonies, right? And so, you know, it's uh, it's not like she's like standing on someone's grave getting her vow, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, in fact, um, some cemeteries, uh, like, or uh, there's a cemetery out there that I know of that has, um, a playground attached to it, right? So like literally a cemetery with a playground, which may be appropriate, right? Because right. kids are going to act like kids, yeah. you know? And so um, having like, here, go mess around on that while we go and um, do whatever. So Brian, same question to you. Where do you draw the line between what is sort of respectful outside of grieving activities and then also just kind of like abusing a cemetery? You know, it really kind of is tough because that article for me personally is frustrating on both sides. So I think, you know, let, let's, you know, for me, I want to, I want to establish the boundaries or the ground rules. I, th I think, I think we're all on the same page. You never remove anything from a grave. You didn't put it there. I think we're all on the same page there. We can agree to that. Outside of that one, um, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit because I guess I, the way I look at myself, whatever you guys are doing in my vicinity, you guys have no control over how I take the information that you're putting out into the universe. You could be standing by a tree and that could upset me, but that has no nothing to do with you. That has everything to do with me personally and my mindset. I could be say, standing there sad and someone goes running by quietly and that could upset me. That's a very personal thing to me. And that's not something that we can control as a society. That's a very personal thing. Um, I look back towards, you know, the old Victorian era, that those days, the, the parks, the, when I say parks, the cemeteries were used as parks. It was a picnic event. It was a social gathering place. The kids did play there. Um, it was a place for life and death to merge and to remember and it was a great place for activity, cookouts, all kind of things, you know, little bands. I mean, there was a lot of activity back in the time. So it's not something that's always been quiet to where we think it is now. It's been completely different over history. So outside of outright vandalism and, you know, theft, yeah, I mean, we should not be climbing on monuments and stones, clearly. I, you know, it cringes when I see a, a person sitting on a stone. Um, but I think, you know, having this conversation is good. You know, I think continuing conversations like these, I think we need to talk about what, what is right and wrong in a cemetery. You know, I see people walking and jogging and riding bikes. It's, you know, I'm happy that they're there. They should be there. And that's the way I look at it, as I want people to come to a cemetery. So when we start putting up rules, no Pokemon Go, you know, <laughs> if, if the 12-year-old is doing Pokemon Go and maybe stops and catches a Pokemon right on a World War I veteran. You know what? Maybe they'll notice. Who knows? Um, so I see an upside to, you know, maybe non-traditional uses of a cemetery. That's where I fall. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I, you know, I agree with you, especially about the walking part. I'm a walker myself and like on one of my regular walking rounds. In fact, I recently found a cemetery um that i hadn't been to before that i incorporated into it and you know it's it, it uh, on a catholic parish and i was kind of worried that somebody was going to come out and be like what are you doing here and i would have this guard well i'm a licensed funeral director so i know what i'm doing in a cemetery right like i'm staying on the paths i'm not causing any problems but yeah and you know like for example the dog thing right like if you are using that as your dog's bathroom, that's one thing. But on the other hand, 
you know, a person who died that was close to their dog should have their dog come visit their grave, right? I mean, there's yeah. a lot of like sort of heartwarming stories in that context when a pay, when a pet goes to visit a grave or, you know, obviously kids should go and visit graves too, right? But I can certainly see this like don't stop and play like froth in the middle of your cemetery, right? Right. And, um, there's a little bit of a different... Um, I guess feel to it in the sense that people are just using it as a cut through and ignoring the fact that it's a cemetery versus like, I'm going to go to the cemetery. I'm going to walk in it. Right. We're going to go yeah. visit it. And you know, we're, th we're there for a purpose. It's outside of grieving, but we're also there recognizing it's the fact that a, a cemetery um, kind of to that point, I want to know what you two think about this is I had a coworker who was from Colombia, and when she came to the United States, she, told me that she thought it was strange that there was just cemeteries kind of everywhere right and you know i explained she's like why is that you know in columbia we have concentrated places where people are buried um and i was like well you know when people were pioneering the land or whatever and they would start a town or there would be a church there and then people would just die and then they would bury them there and then you know either that would be part of the town and it wasn't organized in any way to that point or whatever so that's just kind of like why we have cemetery like i have a cemetery in my neighborhood so it's just kind of like that's where it showed up you know a lot of farmers have cemeteries on their their graves and so what i think about this when i read this kind of stuff is that because we have cemeteries just kind of everywhere that we become kind of cemetery blind, right? Like, what do you think about that, Dana? Yeah, I, I definitely think there are, especially here where I am, there are so, so many cemeteries. Like, it, it's it's very common, like, to, and I I recently discovered a new cemetery, an older guy, a friend of mine, he, he told me about a book that he read, and he told me where it was, and I rode by there, and I'm like, I didn't even see that. Like it's on a, a common road and I didn't even pay attention to that cemetery being back there. So there are definitely cemeteries, <laughs> like almost like churches, like they're everywhere. That yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you kind of forget. I mean, like I didn't even know the name of this one in my neighborhood until like I really made an effort to figure out what it was because it's small. I think it probably has about hundred grave spaces and maybe 50 of them are filled. And, um, you know, and so I was just like, you know, what's up with the cemetery, but I was so used to seeing, I, like I said, there's two on my regular walking route, you know, that I've noticed for all I know, there's another one out there, um, along the same lines, right? What do you think, Brian? You think that here in the United States, the way that we have our cemeteries laid out kind of makes us a little cemetery blind? Yeah, I just kind of think so. Um, you know, cause they, they, they tended to be in churchyards. Every church had their own cemetery. And then once, I don't know, I think as communities grew, they started being put on the outskirts of towns. And, you know, I suppose in rural America, for me anyway, the cemeteries are all driving distance away. We're normally not walking through them in our cities. Uh, so rural America is definitely going to have a little bit of separation from cemeteries more so than metropolitan America, I would think. Um, so, yeah, I think that kind of gives us an aversion to it. You, you, and it's, it, it fits for our culture. Americans avoid death. We avoid cemeteries, too. And if, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of where I fall on that, Ben. 
Well, you know, in, in rural America, I imagine, too, part of it is like, okay, we need to have a cemetery here. We put our dead people here. So then that way we know we're not going to farm that area either. Yeah. Right. So like we got we don't want to have stuff spread out with like good farmable land. So we kind of put our things there. Whereas like in a metropolitan area, like, yeah, you know, we're not going to be farming that area. So it's like, well, whatever, you know, we just have that. So I found that because I absolutely agree with this lady's sentiment when she's talking about don't be a clown in the cemetery. Right. Like, you know, and um just uh the fact that you know people also are kind of spooked out by cemeteries sometimes and then like you also hear about like like this like if you were somebody who's scared of cemeteries like the last thing you would want to do is have your like dog peeing on graves because you're definitely like if ghosts exist that's a great way to get haunted right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah 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 you do it to me you'll never keep a kitchen cabinet door shut but <laughs> i you know i you know look at look at you know culturally libraries we all know to walk in there and be quiet it's ingrained in us and it was ingrained in us as children because we had libraries in school. Our children aren't taken to cemeteries and explain, this is what this is. This is what we do here. I mean, the, the death education in America is pretty non-existent in a lot of aspects. And I mean, so it goes hand in hand that we don't, we're not taught how to act. We don't know how to act because generally all of us know how to act in a library. Yeah, it's like a cemetery is an outdoor place where you should use your indoor voice, right? I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, that, exactly, right? Same rules that apply to church or school or, you know, anywhere else. Like, that should think about that at the cemetery, right? But would you like to share your thoughts on any of the topics we discussed today? We'd love to hear them. Email your thoughts to bschmidt, that's B-S-C-H-M-I-D-T, at frigidfluid.com, and I'll read them on the show.